You're listening to the Crossroads Grace Podcast, a podcast of Crossroads Grace Community Church. To learn more about our gathering times and ways you can get involved, check out our website at crossroadsgrace.org. Well, good morning, everybody. Good to see you guys and uh, starting service a little early. So uh, good to have you guys. Glad to have you be here with us. Now, um, my name is Pastor Brian. I'm the lead pastor here and uh, just really glad you're with us here, whether you're joining us online or joining us right here in Manteca. We're grateful for you guys to be here. And our mission is that we exist to lead everyone to discover Jesus and follow him fully. We want you to have at least one person in your life that you're praying for, sharing Jesus with loving on so that they can know who he is also. And again, thanks for joining us online. I want to make sure I give a shout out to our chat host today, who of course is Ashley. Ashley, thanks so much for doing that. I appreciate you taking the time. And uh, if you need anything, Ashley's going to be there for you guys, giving you links, giving you all kinds of opportunities to be able to connect with her. So uh, take advantage of that. But uh, gang, before I kind of dive into the message, I just wanted to start off and just say a little bit to those of you that call Crossroads home. I want to I first thank you for your generosity and being a part of the mission here at Crossroads. You, you might not realize this, but each and every week there are people that who are discovering Jesus, they're following Jesus. And they're leading others to do the very same thing. They're living out our mission and it's happening every week. But also you should know that there are students that are hearing about Jesus and then taking him back to their schools, their, their competition fields, their neighborhoods, um, even kids, uh, young ones that are learning about Jesus at their own level and, and, and sharing them with other people. We have people that are getting help from their hurts, their habits and hangups through Celebrate Recovery and every Wednesday night. We're helping people that are homeless and that are hungry and that are in need through our community, through the great work that Glow and her team are doing. In Crossroads, you might not know this, but you support missionaries across the globe and in some places where the, sharing the gospel is detrimental to their health. And then you also help to pay for a staff that is on fire for Jesus and works tirelessly every single day to share Jesus with other people. So, so this is what, I mean, you, thank you for what you guys do. That's, that's for you. Um, so, so this is what the mission of Crossroads is doing, those things that I just listed to you. And it's so cool that God allows us to be a part of it. And so you could be a part of that by serving and getting involved and being one of our tag teams, or you could be part of supporting, showing up to service and going to things and being a part, getting your kids involved, but also through, through giving, through your tithes and through your offerings each and every week. Because God has time and time again shown up and shown off to supply our needs time and time again. But, and, and I know that he will continue to do that, even though we're behind budget right now. I Just to let you know, we're $70,000 behind budget. And I know that he's going to provide for what we need because he, he'll do that through men and women that, that love and trust what God is doing here. And they want to have God be first in their life. And, and we know that as we, as we give this part of our life over to him, it's amazing how rewarding and how faith strengthening this act is. So first off, I just want to say, if you are giving to Crossroads right now, Thank you. Thank you. I know my wife and I, each and every week when we get a chance to give, we do so joyfully because it, we know the impact that it's making on, for Jesus. So, so thank you if you're currently giving. And if you haven't yet began to give, if you're kind of on the fence, you're not sure about things, I just want to let you know this is a great time to do that because God blesses a cheerful giver and, and he loves to see his children trust him. So I'm going to encourage you to take that step of faith. I'm going to take, take that step of faith to, to start to give to what God is doing here. And if, maybe if you're not part of Crossroads, maybe this isn't your home church, give there. That's totally fine. 
Because there, I don't believe there's any greater use of our resources that God has given us than to see other people's eternities changed for, for Jesus. It's an amazing thing. And so I want to invite you to be a part of that. You can do that by going to crossroadsgrace.org give. You can also click on the QR code right next to me and get more information. We're transparent about everything in our finances. You can see everything there. And we're also grateful that, that I believe that not only is God going to do something in you, but he also wants something for you. Not from you, for you. He, wanted, he wants to see your faith grow. And, the, and, and again, this is amazing thing to be a part of just grow, growing the kingdom of God, both here on earth and in heaven, and, and just to trust him with all areas of our life, including, including our money. So thanks for being awesome, Crossroads. Just want to encourage you in that area and just love you guys. Now, before I dive into the message today, I actually want you not to hear from me. I want to hear from you guys. Because we've stopped you, a few of you, in the lobby over the past couple of weeks, and we were asking you a question about courage. So to kick off today's message, we're going to start a little fun segment that we're going to be calling Big Questions with a Little Mic. Take a look. When was the time that you had to be courageous or weren't and you should have been? Well, last year, uh, this shirt is about it, and I went to the, did the Tough Mudder last year, a 15K, and I'd never even done a 5K before, and it was absolutely insane. But with the team of people that we worked together with, it was the most difficult and exciting thing I've probably ever done in my life. It was awesome. When I climbed a rock at Yosemite and I couldn't get down, um, it took me a while to get down. Did you have to be really brave and, and try to get down yourself? Yeah. And you made it. Mm-hmm. A time that I was courageous was sending my firstborn daughter off to college and just trusting that she was going to be three hours away, but that God was going to be with her. But I still cried the whole drive home. We were in Maui, and I really, really wanted to jump off Black Rock. Super scared, don't like heights, but my children were watching me, so... I did it. This was when I was scared of this roller coaster, but then I finally went on it, and now it's my favorite ride. Um, that time was actually two years ago. Um, I had to sing the national anthem in front of the gym that my mom goes to. Um, I had to uh, be brave uh, right now when uh, I'm taking a video because I was. Uh, because I felt like um, it would um, be like a little embarrassing. <laughs> but you did it. We appreciate it. Good job. Thank you. <laughs> I love that, right? Being courageous, you know, so good. But being courage, or having courage is an interesting thing, right? If you really think about it, because we all want to be courageous. I don't know of anybody that, that says, you know what, I think I just want to be really scared, cower in a corner, and, and never take any risks. You know, I don't know anybody like that. Or, or I'd, I'd rather live my life full of regrets and almost. Or when my senior year of high school, I was voted the person to not do anything of significance in their life. Like, nobody wants that. No, we, deep down, we all, we all want to be courageous. But what keeps us from accomplishing that, that courageous goal is often we don't want to pay the price that it takes to get it. And the reason is that usually courage happens during a time where there's difficult circumstances having, occurring or things that you have to overcome. And it could be good things. You know, it might be like you're asking somebody to homecoming or you, you could be applying for, for the college you really want to get into. It might be that next level of job that you're trying to interview for. 
Those are great things, but it does take courage to step forward in them. But then on the other side, there are some other things that take courage too that are really hard. Things like maybe that was that health news that came out of nowhere, and, and when it came in, it just kind of changed your life in a blink. Or, or, other, or the other times it might be when you're, there was a sudden death of a friend or a family member, and it just kind of catches you off guard. And then there's other times when maybe your job is, is eliminated, and, and you're figuring out how you're going to do this life with unemployment. And, and all these things and so many other things can just hit you like a train out of nowhere. But what often happens is that when these moments occur, courage is, is hangs in the balance. And those that step towards the edge of courage, you find a deeper strength within you that you never knew was there, which only happens when we move beyond that line of, of fear and doubt that's clouded over by the unknown, and we step through the fog into a strength that we never knew was there. Now, of course, as believers in Jesus, we realize that that strength doesn't come from inside us, as some Eastern religions will tell you, but that strength comes from the Holy Spirit, comes from God in us. And the psalmist would tell us this in Psalm 46. It says, it says uh, God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. So it's God's strength in us that gives us this courage. But it's in this courage, these courageous moments that we have the opportunity to actually cling to God more. And as scary as it might seem, we should always remember that God is always working. In fact, he's drawing us closer to him in those moments. And in that, our faith becomes stronger. And some of the, some of the scariest things that God will probably call you to, by the way, is when he's calling you to do great things for him. And so where we find ourselves in the book of Esther today is at a, a, a pivotal moment in the story. We're in Esther chapter 4, and if you have your Bibles or your Crossroads Grace apps, I'd love for you to open to Esther chapter 4. We'll be there in just a moment, and perfect time for those online to be able to get that link and be able to click on that or the QR code that'll be coming up. And, and what we'll see today is that in this story, it is going to be all too applicable to what, this, what we're dealing with in the world right now. Especially when you consider how kind of crazy it is that over a year ago we started to plan this series and now it's in perfect time with what's happening in the world today. And, and you'll see a little bit more about what I'm talking about as I, as I talk today, okay? But, but where we find ourselves today is that Esther, who's the, who's the, who, who's the book was named after, Esther, she's now queen of Persia. She's taken over for the banished queen Vashti. There's this evil man that's come on the scene. His name is Haman. He's been made near royalty in the kingdom by King Xerxes. And people are now required to bow down to him. However, a Jew by the name of Mordecai, he refuses to bow down to Haman because he's a follower of God and, and they only worship God and God alone. So this infuriated this Haman guy. But instead of getting back just at Mordecai, he decided to have the king sign off on a holocaust of all the Jews. Now scholars would tell you about this time, there's around 15 million Jews in the kingdom of Persia at this time. 15 million. And the king had just passed an edict that one year from now, all of the men, women, and children that were Jewish would be annihilated. 15 million people. And, and this evil plan of Haman was made public to everybody in the kingdom of Xerxes. And the word began to spread to all the little towns. And as that word spread, so did fear. Because the Jews were on the edge of being extinct. 
And this Holocaust was all but inevitable because, again, the king had signed, sealed, and delivered it. It was going to happen. Which is why when Mordecai, who, who actually is the, the pseudo-father of Esther, also her cousin at the same time, when he found out about this, he was devastated. And this is where we pick up in Esther chapter 4, starting in verse 1. We'll see where it says, When Mordecai learned of all that had been done, that's the edict about killing the Jews, he tore his clothes, put on sackcloth and ashes, and went out into the city wailing loudly and bitterly. But he went only as far as the king's gate because no one clothed in sackcloth was allowed to enter it. In every province to which the edict and order of the king came, there was great mourning among the Jews with fasting and weeping and wailing. Many lay in sackcloth and ashes. So when Mordecai hears about this plot to annihilate the Jews, he does what every traditional Jew would do, and that is mourn. The first thing that you notice that he does is he rips his clothes. Now, this is a practice that's still done by Jews today. It's called kraya. Kraya means to tear in Hebrew. And garments are torn. And sometimes a black piece of, cloth, piece of cloth might be cut. It's a way of saying, this is how much grief I'm experiencing that I don't care about anything, not even the clothes that I wear. And the practice has been done for a very long time. We, we can look back at 2 Samuel when David hears about the death of King Saul and his son Jonathan, who was one of David's closest friends. We read about what they did. It says, Then David and all the men with him took hold of their clothes and tore them. They mourned and wept and fasted till evening for Saul and his son Jonathan and for the army of the Lord and for the nation of Israel because they had fallen by the sword. So it was a traditional thing that they would do. It was an act of mourning because of a death or maybe a tragedy that had taken place. But we also see that Mordecai also put on sackcloth. Sackcloth would have been made out of black goat's hair. It was coarse, it was rough, it was itchy, it was thick. And people wore that so that they would still be uncomfortable even in the middle of their misery. They didn't want any even motion that they would make to have anything other than misery come on them because they were mourning. And then the final thing that you see that he did was place ashes on his head. Now this, when a person did that, it was, a, it was self-humiliation. It just showed that they didn't care about what anyone thought, what anything was happening. They just wanted to sit in their grief. So, so you can imagine that, that a person that was doing all these things, they would stand out and people would see them doing it. They, they would notice someone who was mourning with this depth and this amount of desire under this amount of distress. So, so Mordecai, he was mourning that not only was he about to die... But 15 million of his brothers and sisters would, would be killed too. All for the, the crime of being Jewish. And so he mourns and he weeps and he tears his clothes and he puts on sackcloth and he puts on ashes on his head because he's completely broken. But did you notice something about what I just read there that was interesting? It's important to know. It said that he mourned all the way up to the entrance of the king's gate. But why not go into the palace? Why not let the king know and let everybody know what's happening? It's because the palace was insulated from the outside. It, it, was, it was to be protected from the, the peasants, if you will. The, the king wanted things just the way that he wanted them within this little world of his, in unicorns and bubblegum and happiness all the time. No worries, be happy, man. That's what he wanted. That, that's why when we read last week when the king sent this edict out to all the, the provinces about the annihilation of the Jews, uh, it, it said that while that was happening, he and Haman were sitting on the back porch having a nightcap together. It's because the palace was a place that was supposed to be insulated from pain. 
But that didn't stop Mordecai. So what Mordecai does is he, gets, he mourns and he gets as close as he possibly could to the palace without being executed by the king for disobeying his rules. And he did that because he was praying that maybe somehow, way, he could get word into the palace, maybe even to Esther. So that's what we read in verse 4. Continue, verse 4 says this. When Esther's eunuchs and, a female, and female attendants came and told her about Mordecai, she was in great distress. She sent clothes for him to put on instead of his sackcloth, but he would not accept them. So miraculously, word gets back to Esther from her attendants. And I say miraculously because, again, remember that no one in the palace knows the direct connection between Mordecai and Esther. And they also don't know that she is a Jew. And since Esther is in the palace, she therefore is insulated from the outside world. And so the fact that a message got through to her was a miracle. But when she finds out, she does something very interesting, which I can't blame her for. But it does bring up something I think that's interesting for us to think about. If you read there, it says that she sent clothes to him to change out of his sackcloth. Now, that's interesting. She wanted him to take off the sackcloth of mourning and put on normal clothes again. She wanted him to, to cover up his mourning and move on. So he didn't risk the, the chance of making the king mad. And again, knowing what, what's going on, it, it, it would make sense for her to do that. But, but logically, isn't the better question that she should have asked? Shouldn't she, the logical question should have been, hey, why are you mourning Mordecai? Isn't that better? Instead, she somewhat kind of just says to, to Mordecai, hey, listen, just, just cover it up, man. Just, just move on. Whatever you're dealing with right now, it's not worth dying for. So, so just kind of cover it up and move on. And isn't that what so often happens to us when we are faced with being courageous for Jesus in our life? Maybe it's talking to your one about your faith in Jesus. Maybe it's being bold on your football team or your basketball team or your volleyball team or your baseball team. Oh, maybe it's placing God first in your finances. Maybe it's loving your spouse when it's really, really hard to do. These are moments of, of opportunity for God's courage to well up in us. And it happens all the time. But the world will oftentimes tell you, oh, 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 oh. Ooh, don't do that. In fact, here's something else to wear instead of, of that. So just, just kind of move on, keep moving, forget that ever happened. So, so what it's really saying is that, like, don't, don't, don't share your faith. With, with your one. I mean, that's going to change the relationship that you have with them. It's only going to get weird when you do that. Uh, in fact, instead of doing that, here's what I want you to do. I want you to put this on. It's going to be a lot better. J just put on the shirt of security. Everything will be, just, just, just go with the flow. You know, don't, don't share your faith with your football team or, or your basketball team or your volleyball team or anybody. I mean, you're, you're already kind of popular in school. You don't want to mess that up by kind of being one of those Jesus freaks guys. So, so don't do that. You know, instead, here's what I want you to do. I want you to put this on. Just put on this shirt of just fit in. Just fit in with everybody else. Don't, don't put God first in your finances. Oh my goodness, don't do that. Because if you did that, then, then you're going to have to say no to a lot of things that you really want to do. You're not going to be able to do the things you want. You're not going to be able to have the things you want. So here's what I want. Instead, just do this. Put on this. 
I want you to put your needs first. It's about your needs, my, me first. Okay, just remember. And, and this whole spouse thing, oh, forget that. You, you don't want to work through that. You should probably just give up on that. You should probably just bail on it because it's going to be a lot of work to do. So instead, here's what I want. I want you to put this on. Just, just put on your happiness. As long as you're happy, that's all that matters. So just let them do their thing. You do your thing. And, and so what we do is instead of embracing the courage that we should have for Jesus, we have broken courage. We cave to the pressure. Not to, not to buck the trend or go against the flow. Instead, we put on these shirts that, that cover up what God wants to do in us, this courageous moment. And instead, we just kind of go along with whatever the world wants of us. And when we do that, we miss out on what God wants to do through us. Mordecai, he refused to put on the clothes that Esther gave him. He couldn't cover up something that this was this terrible. So he sent the clothes back to her. And Esther was concerned. And so she needed to find out what, what was the reason for this. Why would he do such a thing? And so in verse 5, it says, it says, when Esther's eunuchs and a female attendants came and told her about Mordecai, she was in great distress. Uh, in verse 6, I'm sorry. Then Esther summoned Hathak, one of the king's eunuchs, assigned to, her, assigned to attend to her, and ordered him to find out what was troubling Mordecai and why. So in order to find out what was happening with Mordecai, she actually she sends one of her attendants, that his name was Hathak, to, to Mordecai. And, and, and I want you to think about this for a moment here, because I, I think that this is also important for us to think about. Because do you think that Hathak, had any idea of how important what he was about to do was? Like he probably was just going about his day. He's probably picking figs out of the tree for later and, and maybe filling pitchers of wine for the palace, changing the, changing the linens on, on the beds. He, he was queuing up reruns of the Kardashians on Netflix or the King's Harem. Like he was doing all the things. When all of a sudden Esther says, hey, hey, Hathak, I got a job for you. And from that moment on, Hathak would forever be part of one of the greatest stories in the Jewish faith. But yet God would use him in a small way to be a part of his bigger plan. Man, I, I, if you can start to grab hold of this, this will change your life. Because it's the truth that God will use people in big ways and small ways as a part of his greater plan. If, 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 if we're ready to be obedient and to be courageous. But here, I, I'll be honest, you need to know this, okay? Here's part of it. You may never get credit for it this side of heaven. Pe people will, may never know your name. You, you will not get a call from Ryan Seacrest. You, you will not get discovered. You will not have more followers on Instagram. The world may never know you were ever part of it. And I know that because that happens throughout the Bible. So don't believe me? All right, here we go. What's the name of the boy that gave Jesus his lunch to feed the 5,000? What's the names of the friends that lowered the crippled man through the roof to Jesus' feet for him to be healed? What's the name of the armor bearer that came with Jonathan to come up against the battle of the Philistines up on the hill? Don't know it? 
It's because we weren't told it. But yet they were still part of God's bigger plan. You, you see, sometimes being courageous for Jesus is just being willing and available to be used by him. So never disqualify yourself when it's God who has qualified you and me to be a part of his greater plan. That's up to God. So, so Esther went to Hathak to be able to find, sent Hathak to Mordecai to find out what in the world's going on. Give me more details. Hathak goes and we read this. It says, so Hathak went out to Mordecai in the open square of the city in front of the king's gate. Mordecai told him everything that happened to him, including the exact amount of money Haman had promised to pay in the royal treasury for the destruction of the Jews. He also gave him a copy of the text of the edict for their annihilation, which had been published in Susa, to show to Esther and explain it to her. And he told him to instruct her to go into the king's presence to beg for mercy and plead with him for her people. Hathak went back and reported to Esther what Mordecai had said. So, so now, what you understand, now the conduit that Mordecai needed into the palace was created. God made a way when it seemed that there was no way. But that's how God works. When people are willing to stand up against evil, stand in the gap for others, you will see God show up time and time again. British politician Edmund Burke once said, he says, all that it is required for evil to triumph is for good men to do nothing. Mordecai refused to let evil win. And he knew that if Esther knew, there was a chance, there was a chance that something could be done. And so now Esther will, will know the full story as Mordecai had just told her. And now Mordecai, he sits back to wait to see what she's going to say in return. Take a look. Hathak went back. It says that then she instructed him to say to Mordecai, all the king's officials and the people of the royal provinces know that for any man or woman who approaches the king in the inner court without being summoned, the king has but one law, that they would be put to death unless the king extends the gold scepter to them and, and spares their lives. But 30 days have passed since I was called to go to the king. So Hathak unpacks Everything that Mordecai had said to Esther. And her response back to Mordecai is very natural. It's a very human thing. Her points are very valid. First thing she says is she's like, listen, I just can't go to the king. It's not like my wife and I, we text 400 times a day. And when we're in the house, we're bumping into each other all the time. It's not like one of those crazy Disney movies where there's the king at one end of the table and way at the other end is the queen and they have all this food in between them. No. No, the queen was like any other person in the kingdom. She had to be called by the king in order to see him. And even when the king had, had brought her, he had to then extend his scepter to her as an act that it was now okay for her to speak. So, so she just decides to like pop into the kingdom and be like, hey, what's up, Zerks? Like, hey, what's going down? She would be murdered, okay? So Esther is rightfully scared. She's like, dude, Morty, you don't know what you're asking here, bro. Like, I can't just go. It's not how it's going to work. Oh, uh, did you check out that? On the other side of it, apparently the king had forgotten about her because they hadn't seen each other, talked to each other, anything for 30 days. And I know there are some married ladies in the room that say, I don't see the big deal here, okay? I would kill 
for 30 days by myself with them. Right? But, but for Esther, like to pop in all unannounced, tell about this impending annihilation. By the way, I'm a Jew. And oh, we haven't spoken for 30 days. Yeah, ain't going to go very well. Just not going to work. But you know what? All of that, even though that's true, you know what doesn't change? There are 15 million Jews' lives that are still on the line. Death was coming. Which is why Mordecai said this. Look in verse 12. 12, it says, When Esther's words were reported to Mordecai, he sent back this answer. Do not think that because you are in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. But you and your father's family will perish. Mordecai sends word back to her. And what he says is very important for us to know too. He says, don't think that just because you don't act, that you will survive. Because if King Xerxes' actions have told us anything up until this point, is that he is not above removing people from his life, including his wife and his queen, that do anything against him. So even if, if Esther somehow chose to be quiet, she saved her life for a little bit, th there is absolutely, it's just a matter of time before Haman comes after her. And there's absolutely no promise that King Xerxes is going to protect her whatsoever. The second thing, though, I think is really important, might be the most important part of this whole message, is that Mordecai, he was unwavering in his faith that God was going to save the Jews. He was unwavering in that. But his challenge to Esther, did you notice it, is to remember that God's plan is not to be stopped because of our disobedience. Which is why I want you to really process what I'm about to say. That God gives us opportunities to be a part of his plan, but his plan is always bigger than us. Always bigger than us. God's plan will happen with or without us. But he is so gracious to let us be a part of it if we'll just be faithful and courageous. Mordecai was telling Esther that God is looking to her in the position that she's in, with the influence that she has been given, in the opportunity that's in front of her to be brave, to trust that God will come through despite all of her fears, all of her insecurities. God will come through if she will be courageous. Which is why he then says these iconic words that have echoed through the halls of history ever since he uttered them. The rest of verse 14 says, And who knows but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. This was the moment that Mordecai knew Esther had been called for, even created for, despite all the craziness that surrounded her becoming queen. Despite all of the pain that she probably went through, in spite of all the confusion and the heartache and wondering where is God at in all of this, now all of a sudden it starts to come into laser focus. This was the moment that God had placed her in this position, in this time, with this power, this moment. And, and instead of allowing her to kind of back down to the fear of the situation, Mordecai does what? He presses in and he calls Esther to a higher calling. He called her to what? To such a time as this. 
Despite the fear, the cultural pressure, all of the unknown, he was calling her to trust that God was able to do more than she could imagine. That he is able to do more in her than she's able to see in herself. Oh! 
I believe that all of us, all of us at some point in our life will be called by God to do hard things. In this moment, Esther was on the verge of her courage being broken. She was. It's a scary thought of, of coming to the end of the king's presence without him asking to be there. Your life is on a line. It's scary. And you might feel the very same way in your life might be a scary thing to think about talking to your friend about Jesus or following Jesus more in your relationships, making him the center of your life. But as we stare down the thought of having a broken crown of courage in our hands, can we never forget that God never calls us to do anything that he doesn't provide the strength in order to do it with? Never. Because for a moment, Esther thought that she was going to have to go and stand in front of that king all by herself. In front of the king by herself. But in the reality, the king of kings was right by her side. And for such a time as this, she was being called to stand in the gap for her people. To be a voice in a dark world. He was asking her to, to take up her broken crown of courage, place it on her head, and to trust that God can use broken things to do great things. So in the story, we're, we're left wondering what Esther's going to do. Will, will she respond to this call that Mordecai had just given her? Will, will she trust that God's strength is bigger and it, bigger than her lack of courage? All of this is left in the balance to see what, what would this young woman, woman do. And next week we'll find out about it. <laughs> But for this moment, we have the chance to look ourselves in the mirror and ask, where, are, where is our courage? Where does it have the potential to be broken? This is the week where we need to ask God's strength to fill our weakness so that we can continue to do great things for him. We can gain courage in our lives when we lean and learn to trust more on Jesus. And the more that we see how faithful he is, the more bold in our faith that we'll become. Always. But it always begins with a, a single solitary moment where we choose to accept that God has called us for this time in this place to doing something great for him. And for such a moment as this, knowing that courage is believing that God faithful so this week your, your memory verse card that you're going to get on your way out or you can download yourself is Psalm 46 1 it says God is a refuge and strength and ever present help in trouble but as you memorize that I want you to ask yourself where is God calling you to be courageous for him and finally what courageous step will you take towards Jesus this week I told you that this, this, the timing of the series was very interesting that God orchestrated it to happen during the time of a, of a, of a conflict in, in, with Israel and other nations in the middle of just, just a mess. And, and for us to be talking about a time when Israel was in a mess and the Jews were potentially going to be extinct in the story of Esther, it's just interesting how the timing of this happens. But 
And as we look at this, these things happening with Hamas and so many other terrorist, ter- terrible terrorist things happening in Israel, all of a sudden you, you start to say, like, man, is there any hope at all in any of that? And what I love is where you see these little bits of hope poke out amongst the darkness. One such story was when Hamas had originally uh, crossed the, the Israeli border and it started to take pe- people prisoner. And there was an Israeli couple by the name of Rachel and David Adari. And they were held captive for 15 hours by some operatives of Hamas. And they didn't know if or when their lives were going to be taken. But in this moment, sensing that this was her moment, Rachel decided to to do something. And what she chose to do is she started to to interact with her, her captors. And she made coffee. She made cookies. She taught them Hebrew. and They began to talk with one another until she noticed out of the corner of her eye outside there was the, the authorities that were there to help and she signaled just subtly how many people were in the room. And the next thing you know, they came in and they saved them. But Rachel, in her moment, knew that this was a chance for her to be courageous in the face of death and do a very small thing that ended up saving her entire family. What is it that God is calling you to do? What is that courageous moment that he's wanting you to to lean into and to trust? Whatever it is, I know that he will give you the strength to do it. We just have to trust that courage is knowing that God is faithful. So we're gonna we're gonna worship here in a second and just give praise to God for what he is and who what he's done and what he's doing in our life. But in this moment, I just want to pray for you. Prepare your hearts now for that and let you respond through worship of him. So Father, we come before you right now. We thank you for the story of Esther and as it's stirring things in us, the brokenness inside us. God, I pray, Father, right now for those here that that you've called to them to do something courageous. I, I don't know what it is, but I know you've called them to it. And I pray, Father, that as they process through what you're asking them to do and where you're calling them to go and what you're asking them to do, God, that you would allow them to step across that the fog of the unknown into the strength and the, that they never knew they thought they had because it's only found in you and we trust you. And so, Father, I just pray right now, God, that we would raise a hallelujah to you as a way of saying we trust you, we love you, and that we know you're good and that you'll be with us. So may the words of the song be our anthem to you, and may we sing to you and trust you and believe that you are good. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us this week on the Crossroads Grace podcast. If you enjoyed this message, please rate us and subscribe to the podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you're listening from. If you are interested in getting involved in our community or want to find out more information, visit us online at crossroadsgrace.org. Thank you for listening to the Crossroads Grace podcast.